it's good to see you this morning. My name's Steve. Um, I'm married to Tammy. Uh, we help lead this, this thing um, you call Central Vineyard. Um, we've been away this week, um, suffering for the Lord in Leeds. Um, <coughs> um, but no, we've had some fun. As some of you might know, Tammy and I um, have some responsibility in the Vineyard family of churches for the East Midlands area. And so we had the opportunity to spend 24 hours with uh, some of the other area leaders in our region. Our region is slightly crazy. It's the Midlands, North and Scotland. Um, so it's the biggest region uh, in the Vineyard family and the best, um, so I'm told. And so um, we had the pleasure of hanging out uh, with those guys this week. We also had the pleasure of um, doing an assessment for some church planters who are going to plant a church in Edinburgh. And it's really exciting. They're just... Um, really great couple, and we're really looking forward to seeing that happen. Okay, as, um, as Paul said, we are in a season of transition as a church, and we're still waiting patiently for uh, this building that we're in the process of purchasing. And so uh, the news is there's no news, okay? Um, we still haven't really progressed, and we're probably about a month and a half behind schedule, um, which is slightly terrifying when our landlord has already let our offices for the 1st of August. And so um, we would really value your prayers because we really need something to to shift in the next week or so just so we can move out and move the staff and the food bank into into our building before the 1st of August. Uh, And also I want to go on holiday. So um, um, so yeah, we would really value, value that. Um, this morning I'm starting a new teaching series um, that's just going to push us through the summer and um, we're going to spend some time um, uh, looking at this thing that we've, I'm, I'm calling This Is Church. And um, as we're in this season of transition, I thought it would be just a, a helpful thing for us to think about uh, what is really the essence of, of church. You know, we're going to be transitioning from from being a church for the last 10 years that has rented different spaces. You know, we started off in a a cinema cafe and then we went to a community centre, we went to an old shoe factory, we were at the university for a season and then met in various school halls as we've grown and developed as a church over the last 10 years. But we're going to be going from being a church that rents space to being a church that owns space. And uh, that's, that's going to change things. It's going to change things in our the way we think, you know, just our, the way we do church. It's going to open lots of new opportunities to us. Um, we might be less tired because um, we're not setting up and tearing down every Sunday. Um, but as you know, um, church, church isn't a building. Um, uh, uh, the church is the, the people of God, the, um, <clears throat> the Greek word. Uh, used over and over again in the New Testament is ecclesia, uh, which which means assembly. That the church is an assembly of people. And so we often hear this phrase, don't we? The church is not the building, it's the people. And um, it can kind of become a cliche. Um, And one of those kind of lines that we kind of just throw around in church. And and because, because it's heard so much, we can often 
just miss the depth and the meaning of what we're saying uh, when, we, when we talk about that. So we're going to just take the summer to explore what this thing is, church. Uh, so when we hear church is the people, uh, we actually know what that means. Uh, we actually know what that entails, what the implications of that might be. And I guess as we do this, I guess essentially what we're saying is this is the kind of church we want to be, okay? Uh, it's, that's the subtext. And so this is the kind of church we want to be, this is the kind of the people that we want to be. And so when we say this is church, um, I want to start by thinking about uh, this is church, a generous church. Uh, and so that's what I want to think about this morning. Being a generous church begins ultimately with a generous God. The very essence of who God is, is generosity. That God is, is this exuberant being. You know, we don't have to look far, do we? We can look in, in creation and see how much detail God puts into things, how much investment is there, um, how lavish God has been in all of creation. I just want to show uh, a quick video clip um, from a BBC documentary called The Blue Planet. You may remember it from a few years ago now, but can we press play? You know, when, when the Bible says, let the living waters team with, with living creatures... I think God really meant it. You know, just, just the intricacy, just the, the kind of, just the amazing way that the, the creatures of our oceans work together in different ways. It just shows the generosity of God. It's believed that we've discovered 5% of, um, of the ocean. And it's estimated uh, that we know of about 250,000 marine species. And that means there's still 95% of the oceans to be discovered and an estimated 750 species that we don't know of. The stuff that God has created out of his creative generosity that no one will ever see. Seems a bit over the top, doesn't it? But that's the nature of God. He's also generous with us. He's created these, these amazing creatures. He's created this, you know, these amazing uh, marine animals, the plant life. He creates all these things to generously share with us. He, his creation. That, that you and I have been given dominion over everything he has created. And so we begin to partake in his generosity every moment of every day. If you've got a Bible, why don't you turn to uh, 2 Corinthians and uh, chapter 8. I just want to look at this passage as a, really as a bit of a backdrop to what I want to say this morning. We're not going to go too deeply into it, but just want to kind of use it as a springboard for some things that I want to talk about. Uh, and this is the um, Paul writing to the Corinthian church, and um, 
I'm picking up in verse 1. And he says this, And now, brothers and sisters, I want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urge Titus, just as he has earlier made at a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you have ex- excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in love, with, um, we have kindled in you, so that you also excel, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. Being generous, being generous with our stuff, being generous with our time, with our energy, with our money, with our resources, isn't something that God imposes on us, but it's an act of grace. Generosity, according to the Bible, is a gift of grace. It's something that we can possess, the the grace of giving. And so as God's children, we're recipients of his grace. That, that, that God's grace has, has changed the course of our lives. We're freed um, as slaves to sin and he's taken our punishment upon himself. Um, and that God is the, only, is the only judge. And it's by his grace that he declares each one of us as innocent. And he's given us access to him in the process. And so those of us who are in this room who would call ourselves followers of Jesus um, are recipients of his grace. And, and if we're recipients of grace, uh, then, then the scriptures tell us that we're, we're called to give grace away. We're meant to give grace away to others. We're not meant to be kind of like cul-de-sacs or dead ends of grace. But rather, we're designed to be pipelines of grace. That, that, that the grace that we receive is meant to, be, is meant to throw, flow through us into others. It's not just there for our benefit. And so the Christian experience is an experience of the generosity of God and then the experience of giving that generosity away. We get to give. Yeah, we, we, what we receive, we get to give away. And so all that Jesus teaches us in the scriptures about generosity flows out this, this assumption that we're changed by God's grace and our orientation towards stuff, our, our orientation towards our time and our resources um, are, are different to the world around us. They're different. They're they're changed. But generosity isn't meant to be an obligation or a a burden. 
you know, we're not generous because somehow we owe God something back for his generosity, but rather we're generous because it's good for us. Being generous is, is good for you. Um, listen to some of these promises in the Bible. Proverbs eleven twenty four. it says, One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Proverbs 22, 9. The generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. Proverbs 28, 27. Those who give to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to them receive many curses. So we're repeatedly told in the scriptures uh, about being generous is, is actually good for us. It's, it, it's a good thing. Acts 20, 35, it says, The Lord Jesus himself said, It's more blessed to give than to receive. And so there's something in the grace of giving that, that's, that's good for us. It's, it's good for us. A guy called Stephen Post, he wrote a book. It's a, it's a snappy title. It says, When good things happen to good people, how to live a longer, healthier, happier life uh, by, simply, by the simple act of giving. Uh, if you don't believe me, it's on Amazon. Okay? Um, but in his book, he, he looked at a number of scientific um, studies and research that point towards the benefits of, of people who simply know how to be generous. And he looked at one study that was first carried out in the 1920s with a bunch of new teenagers. And these teenagers that displayed generosity, who, who knew how to give, as they grew up, they had lower rates of heart disease and depression than those teenagers who were a little bit more selfish. Uh, he also cites another study by Harvard University, a university that shows that people's immune system is, is strengthened by simply, acting, uh, by simply watching acts of generosity. Um, people who have MRIs um, uh, display, um, display the parts of the brain that release those feel-good feel chemicals, and, and, and those things light up and are activated when people think about giving. Hormone levels tied to compassion and peace rise when people exhibit generous behaviour. In fact, they've done studies on people who had wounds, you know, had wounds, and those physical wounds healed quickly when people engaged in acts of giving. So being generous, being people who are willing to give of our time, our energy, our resource, our money, um, it's good for us. Um, We get to live longer. We get to live healthier. Almost all the world religions teach that it's good to be generous, that it's good to give, and it's good to give to others. And I'm sure every single one of us have got a story to tell, whether we've been the person exhibiting generosity or whether we've been the person who's been on the receiving end. I'm sure every single one of us would have a positive story to say. And so if, if generosity is good for us, 
and if it's good for other people and it, and it transforms things, why is it that we sometimes find it hard to live open-handedly? Why, why do we struggle with that? And so the, the first thing is being, being generous is often killed um, by debt and greed. Um, there's different things that kind of kill our generosity, but one of the things that kills our generosity is debt and greed. And as a nation, uh, we, are, we are in debt. Outstanding personal debt in the UK, the average total debt per household, including a mortgage, was pounds. I was looking at the next thing. <laughs> it was 50 Of that, 222 people were declared insolvent or bankrupt every day. That means one person every 6 minutes and 13 seconds. 8.8 million cash machines uh, transactions were made every day in April. And that value was uh, £360 million. Net lending to individuals in the UK has increased by 53 million a day. Now, I'm sure there are some economists out there that could tell us why those things are good. Um, But the reality is, uh, despite the fact that we came out of a recession a few years ago, actually, as a nation, we are in debt up to our eyeballs. And the bottom line is, is that primarily we are in debt because of greed. Um, we, we, we choose to spend tomorrow's money to fulfill today's lifestyle. That's kind of the culture that we live in, don't we? And, 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 and it, when, we, when we face the reality of debt and greed, it robs us of our ability to be generous. Because our resources are taken up, aren't they? Another thing that kills generosity is worry and fear. And this kind of comes in a moment in our culture where things that we normally would put our trust in are being shaken, aren't they? You know, you just look what's happened in the last 10 days. Our economic and political systems are kind of tumbling, aren't they? They're falling they're falling apart around us. And in times of uncertainty, in times of unrest, like we're in at the moment, our ability to be generous can be challenged. Can't it? Because our level of our own personal generosity is always linked, in some ways, to what we put our trust in. And so if the inclination of the that the climate around us is, is one of, it's not stable, it's being shaken, we have a tendency to pull back. And I guess the question we have to ask ourselves in those times, the, the, the thing that we, we have to consider is who are we really trusting in the first place? What are we really putting our, our trust in? What does, that, what does that mean for our generosity in a climate of, of change? You know, when political unrest and economic uncertainty is, is taking place, one of our responses might be to worry. You know, 
you know, when we saw the things happening a week last Friday, I don't know if you felt this, but I felt sick. <laughs> I felt physically sick. And whether you voted in or, out, in or out, that doesn't matter. You know, it just, it felt hard, didn't it, to see, to see what was happening, what was going on. And so we can fall into worry and fear. What's going to happen? What's going to happen to me? You know, what's going to happen to, to my security? And we can all be in that place today, can't we? Jesus says this in Matthew 6 and 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Verse 31. So don't worry saying, what shall I eat? What shall I drink? Or what shall I wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your, far, your heavenly father knows that you need them. And essentially what Jesus is saying as, as God's children who have received his grace, we're no longer like everyone else. We're not meant to be like anyone else. The goal and the orientation of our lives has, has changed. We're no longer running after and looking for security in the things that everybody else does. We don't have to hold on to our stuff tightly. Instead, as, as God's children who are recipients of, of what he's given us. We're meant to represent, represent something of who God is in, in a world that's out of control, in a world that's in terror, in a world that's completely confused. You know, I, I, one thing I'm really sure of in this current climate is that God isn't like, oh myself, the UK had a referendum. You know, he's not like, what are we going to do? They voted out. I don't think he's that concerned. And I think if nothing else, this, this climate that we're in reminds us that we're not citizens, really, of the United Kingdom. But that we're citizens of the kingdom of God. And that our identity, our security, our, our provision isn't in earthly systems anymore, is it? Our identity and our security and our sense of provision comes from our Heavenly Father. And I think when we fully realise that, when we fully embrace that, instead of this being a season where we, you know, where we, where we pull back, maybe it would be a season that, where we lean in. And so the, the temptation might be to close our hands and tighten our belts but maybe this is an opportunity for us to live open-handedly and generously. So we choose not to give. We choose not to be generous because we can be worried and worry about that we won't have enough. There won't be enough for us. Again, Jesus in Matthew 6 and verse 34 says, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You know, when Jesus says don't worry, he's not saying don't plan, okay? And he's not saying don't plan for the future. Planning is not worrying. And, you know, and Jesus is also not, I don't think, opposed to investing in the future. Investing is not worry. 
So planning, investing for your family, uh, for your future financial security, uh, we should encourage it. And the, and the scriptures uh, seem to endorse that, seem to affirm that. Uh, Proverbs says this, Go to the ants, you sluggard, consider its way, and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provision in the summer and gather it, gathers its food at harvest. And so it's good to plan, it's good to save, it's, it's, it's good to invest, it's good to plan for our children's education and our own retirements. Planning and saving and investing are all good things. But there's one thing that's bad when we think about our future, and that's worry. Jesus says, don't worry. And we can dis- dismiss that command, can't we? Because you think, you know, Jesus, you don't have the pressure that I have. You don't have the mortgage payment that I need to pay. You, you don't have the job that's slightly unstable at the moment. But what about, what about the fact of who's saying don't worry? It's Jesus, isn't it? And you know, Jesus didn't have a trouble-free, pressured-free life. He was constantly hounded from town to town, falsely accused. He's, he was financially struggling. He, he had nowhere to lay his head. Matthew 8 tells us his own family thought he was mad. He was misunderstood by those closest to him. And that kind of serves us as an important reminder that no matter what, what's going on, no matter what we're going through, no matter what external circumstances are taking place around us, them in of themselves do not create worry. We create worry. Paul, when he was in prison, uh, he wrote to the Philippians and he said this. He said, do not be anxious about anything. You see, the reality is that worry doesn't come from the outside. It doesn't come um, from the outside. It comes from within us. And if we're going to defeat this generosity killer called worry, we need to understand that worry comes from us. And you might think I've got good reason to worry. I'm facing loads of pressures. I'm... You know, there's this relational problem taking place in my life. And I'm not saying that those things aren't hard. I'm not saying those things aren't tough. But they're not the reason you have worry. See, worry and being fearful, according to Jesus, is our choice. We choose to worry. And the flip side of that is we can choose to trust God. We can choose to trust him. That God is in control of our provision. God is in control of everything that we need. There's nothing else in the universe that can provide what we need. So worry is a great generosity killer because we fear our own futures. And so even though we can, we can like mentally understand that God is generous towards us, we can fail to be generous towards others because of fear and worry. 
And so how do we defeat these generosity killers? How do we deal with them? Whether it's debt or um, greed or whether it's worry or fear. Well, first of all, I think we need to discover a bigger purpose in life. One of the kind of caveats of our culture is, is the person who dies with the most toys wins. It's kind of the, the way life is, isn't it? But Jesus says this in Luke 12. He says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. You know, it's important for us to realise that we're made for more than acquiring stuff. And actually being a people who are generous, being a, a church that is generous, kind of displays our biggest, bigger purpose in life. And it's important to understand that being generous has a, a lasting impact on more than just our lives. You know, maybe you're a parent. Uh, maybe you want to uh, be generous, uh, make sure your kids or your grandkids are provided for. Maybe you don't have children. Maybe you, maybe you think, I want to invest in other people's children. I want to make sure different individuals or families are, are looked after. If ever there's going to be something that helps us break uh, this thing that, that stops us from being generous, is it's learning to see the bigger picture, that we're here for more than just us, uh, that, that our generosity extends, extends to others. You know, the, the Macedonian church were a church in severe poverty and famine. And it, and it took this, this church that was in total despair to suddenly, suddenly display this amazing level of generosity. And, you know, Paul is using this church as an example to the, you know, the successful church, the church that has it all together. And he says, consider what they've done and be like that. And then my last point is this. We break that, that power that stops us from being generous by discovering that everything belongs to God. Everything is his. Psalm 24 famously says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The problem is, is that we don't always understand what everything means. But everything means everything. It includes our lives. It includes our spouses. It includes our children, our grandchildren. It includes our homes. It includes our jobs. Everything belongs to God. And so the starting point, or the finishing point, uh, not the finishing point, but the starting point in learning to, to trust that everything belongs to him is to be people who give back to God. And so the Bible teaches us that we're called to give. And when we give to God, we're called to give the first fruits of of what, of, of what we have. And that can be our time, it can be our energy, uh, and it also can be our money. Deuteronomy 14, 24, it says this, the purpose 
of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your life. Now, a lot of churches would teach the purpose of tithing or giving is because God needs your money. I don't know if you've heard that before, but that isn't the case. If God wanted your money, you'd take it. Um, The purpose of giving, the purpose of tithing, however you express that, is that we're learning to put God first in our lives. We're learning to put him first. It's teaching us what is most important. So we take the first part of what we have and we give it to him. We say to God, this belongs to you. Lord, I want to take this thing and I want to give it glory to you. I want to honour you. I want to bless you with it. And so this is church. The church is called to be a generous church. And we're called to be a generous people and show generosity to the world around us. And, and one of the primary ways that that happens for us as a local expression of church is, is by having the resources to do that. And so when we choose to be a generous people, when we choose to give to God and express that heart of generosity, it releases us as a church to do all that we do. You know, we only do the things that we do because of the generosity have you got. The generosity that you, you give. And you, you know, when we give to God, when we give our first fruits to him, and however, you know, we're not very legalistic about this as a church. You know, we don't particularly tell people they've got to give a certain percentage or anything like that. But when you, when you give to him, we always receive in return. You know, it's the only time that God says, test me, test me. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And, he, and then the Lord says, test me in this and see if, you will not, if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there'll be no room enough to store it. And so God says to his people, test me in what you give to me. And I will truly, truly bless you. There used to be a vineyard pastor in the States called James Ryle. And um, I remember hearing him teach on the subject of giving. And he he gave this challenge to the church. He said, church, he said, "If, if, if you want to start giving for the first time, I want to invite you to do that. And if the Lord hasn't blessed you in the next three or four months, I want you to know you can have your money back. And so he, he invited the people to, to test God. And you know, if, if this church is your home, if this church is the church that you say, uh, I belong to, then one of the ways that we express our, our generosity towards God and our generosity towards the community is, is to continue to give. And it might be, at best, uh, you would call yourself a sporadic giver. That, that you don't particularly plan your giving. Maybe the, the sweet and offering bowls go around. You take a sweet and you feel obliged to give. Uh, and maybe that's the way you give. And so maybe the challenge this morning as we think about the church being a generous church, meaning generous people, is to go from being a sporadic giver to being an intentional giver. By being people who plan what it is 
they, they intend to give. And, you know, there's no right or wrong to that. There's no, you know, one way of doing that or a better way of doing that. But maybe this morning there's an opportunity for you uh, to, to give more intentionally. And, um, you know, and maybe, you know, maybe if the Lord hasn't blessed you in four months' time, we'll give you your money back. Uh, the trustees are now giving me daggers. Um, but, you know, um, maybe, maybe we'll do that. Um, come and speak to me. Um, and then lastly, as we close, we're going we're gonna to share in communion this morning. And um, I think there's some people who are ready to share those elements with us. But as we, as we think about this theme of being a generous church, as we think about this theme of being a generous people, we're reminded when we come back to the communion table that that God is a generous God and he's, he's lavished something of himself upon us. That the, the ultimate generosity of God was to, 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 to come in human form and, and to um, live a human existence and then to, 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 to lay his life down a ransom for many. That was ultimate generosity, wasn't it? And so we get to receive and be partakers of that generosity this morning. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what we think we should have done or ought to have done or think, think we should do. We get to receive his generosity first. 